welcome everyone. This is the Stallone Podcast Network podcast. We're primarily on YouTube as a channel. Our channel has close to 300 subscribers now. So we got to feel pretty good about that. I feel very good about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 275 or 260 subscribers on YouTube. So thank you to everyone that has subscribed on YouTube. But just to explain the show again to anyone who's listening on their earbuds, uh, I'm Ryan of the Going the Distance to Rocky Series podcast, so that's probably the feed you're listening to right now. But if you're not, if you're on the Rocky Minute or the Slidecast, check out my show, Going the Distance to Rocky Series podcast, (laughs) and give us a listen. I'll let the other guys plug their shows for that same reason. Uh, So thank you for joining us. All right. Yeah, I'm Craig from the Slidecast. Every Haley's Comet, we release a new episode. So uh, there should be a new episode in uh, 65 years or so. Um, and we're chronologically going through Sly's career, currently in the, uh, in the early to mid-90s. The mythical Loch Ness Monster-like Judge Dredd episode is somewhere in my computer waiting to be finished editing and served up for you all to enjoy. I want to say on Twitter... Your Judge Dredd episode has become a joke. I don't mean like a joke. Yes. It's become like a caricature. People are actually commenting on Twitter about its release. It's what do you call it? The Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like one of those great lost albums, you know, like Brian Wilson's Beach Boy Smile or or uh, several other albums, you know, where at this point I can't imagine that it'll live up to all of the anticipation. <laughs> oh, no. Disappointed folks. You're better off just not editing it, just releasing it at this point. The, the buildup's too much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Doug from uh, Rocky Minute. We go through the Rocky movies and we analyze one minute of movie footage at a time. Uh, we have two full seasons plus some bonus episodes such as these Sylvester Stallone Podcast Network episodes and a couple of other special episodes that me and my co-host Jay have done. But you can find those on DuelingGenre.com. And I just want to say, guys, that it's really fun to talk to you guys. A, on a selfish level, it's just nice to talk to like-minded dudes who are uh, movie nerds and Stallone buffs. And you guys are funny. Well, I think we are. Uh, <laughs> you make me smile, which is important. I, I look forward to our chats. And I feel like it's, it's been too long since our, our Lords of Flatbush yeah. review. And I will say that editing job... That was my Judge Dredd. That was an absolute pain to edit. I, it destroyed me. I almost just couldn't finish it. It was such a painful process to review and watch and then edit that discussion. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason I listened back to it, Ryan, because I, I knew the blood, sweat, and tears that you would put into it. So mm-hmm. I felt the least I could do after we were subjected to watching that movie was <laughs> yeah. feel a little bit of your pain and listen to your edit. And it came out great. It was a good episode. I think that's why it took us so long to get back on mic because we just needed some decompression time after that. I tell you, man, we we slogged through Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, but that Lords of Flatbush episode was that was a tough, tough recording. Brutal. Yeah, my my therapy just ended for it. Yeah. The doctor's <laughs> note. I do want to indicate, guys, that today I can almost guarantee you will not hear any Las Vegas chicanery, sirens, ambulances. People trying to get through the gates. Um, <laughs> our move is complete. We are now uh, safely uh, away from the, the city, and, and we are in the suburb. Nice. nice. Quiet day. The birds are downstairs. Okay. So with the exception of the dogs, who I can't control, um, <laughs> it's not going to sound like I'm ever in jeopardy. If you do hear sirens on my end, know that something big is going down. 
Well, Craig, I mean, that provided some a lot of entertainment on our Rocky Minute recordings. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the sirens. Yeah. Glad you're settled in and best of luck to you, to you and the missus there in the new place. So I'm glad you're settled in. And Thank you. Our, our lives have all been pretty busy. That's part of the delay. But I'm hoping to get another recording done in December, if that's okay with you guys, I, over the holidays there. It'd be nice to get another one in before the new year. Absolutely. So, right. Good for me. I mean, it's it's hard to even get a game of checkers going at work uh, this time of year for me. Okay. Yeah, roger that. All right, guys. Well, the fans voted. We had three three movies up for vote. Escape Plan, Detox, and or ICU, depending on whatever that criteria is. What was the last one? Ants or something? No, Spike Kids. Game <laughs> over. Come on, man. What a... <laughs> Please tell me that that was like some, a note you had written to yourself to just twist the knife a little bit more that my picks always get <laughs> just dismissed. Yeah, just, you know, right on the pay no mind list. I always make sure that when I do the poll that I don't ever indicate whose pick is whose because I don't want any kind of like, let's not pick Craig's again. But for whatever reason, <laughs> yours got to stick out like a poor thumb. We didn't even bother putting up Death Race 2000. We knew that was going to lose. <laughs> Come on, man. Don't make me go back into therapy. <laughs> we'll get Craig's in one day. One, one day, Craig's will win. So Escape Plan 1. Let's talk about our viewing history before we talk about the film. I did see this film once before, and that was in the theaters in 2013. So it has been six years since I've seen the film. I saw it in theaters as well. This was actually a really memorable experience for me because before I moved here to Las Vegas, I used to come out here on vacation a lot. And I was out here when Escape Plan opened. And there is a year-round multi-screen drive-in here in Las Vegas, if you want to talk about dangerous. I saw this opening night at the West Wind drive-in in North Las Vegas. What a cool experience. I mean, you were able to, I think I stopped at Del Taco on the way and got a couple of tacos to watch and enjoy the movie. I watched a couple minutes on TV within the last year, and then I, I watched it again full for this viewing. I did not see it in the movies. We don't get out to the movies often these days. And back in 2013, I would have had a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home. So right. movie nights, there were few and far between at that time. I saw this on demand. It was like a home movie night, date night with me and the wife. That was my first, and I think I might have seen bits and pieces of it on like FX or something on TV, somewhere in between. But this was the second time that I really watched it all the way through. Yeah, this is my second time as well. Interesting. It was one of those movies, like I got it when it came out on home video, but oh, I wow. kind of just... If I see it on TV, I'll pop it on, but then, you know, I'll continue going about my housework and stuff, and I'll peek in when I, when I hear an interesting part come up. But really to sit down and just dive in and watch it it's only twice when i saw this on netflix it's here on netflix and so for all of our canadian listeners at least you can see this on netflix i felt like i was watching it for the first time i can't believe how much i forgot the twist at the end the, a lot of the subplots care even actors that were in it so i feel like the only thing i remember was is that arnold and sly are both in it with the exception of one actor i remembered every beat of the movie hmm. wow i remember the main through line Nothing really caught me as a surprise. I remembered the ending. I remember the twist at the end. I remembered most of the actors that were in it. I wouldn't think too much of it surprised me. It was such a new movie to me 
that I almost thought like, I'm part of a Mandela effect. I'm not even joking. <laughs> so it's weird that I had forgotten so much of the plot. So let's get into it. Let's uh, let's go. Let's start mm-hmm. talking about it. Doug, do you have your famous synopsis ready to go? I do. I do. So we meet Ray Breslin, a security expert who gets inserted into prisons and breaks out of them to expose their flaws so the prison can improve upon them to make like a break-proof prison. He's hired to test a quote-unquote escape-proof prison, but the plan goes sideways, otherwise there would be no movie. And once inside, he meets a sadistic warden Hobbs, a fellow inmate, Rob Meyer, whom he forms a bond with, the huge prison guard, Drake, and Dr. Kyrie. Hobbs and Drake take great pleasure in making Ray suffer, but he makes fast friends with Rottmeyer, who is eager to help Ray get out. They work together on a recon mission to get information on where the prison is. Uh, Ray finds out that they're on a barge in the middle of the ocean, and it's really no way to get out of there. So find out that his business partner, Lester Clark, played by the great Vincent D'Onofrio, set him up for a payday. Meanwhile, the warden Hobbs is trying to get the location of some, like a modern-day Robin Hood named Victor Mannheim who Rott Meyer used to work for, but Rott Meyer refuses to give up Mannheim because he's loyal to his dude. Ray and Rott Meyer hatch a plan to escape. They enlist the help of another inmate and Dr. Kyrie, played by uh, Sam Neill. They're able to get off the barge, killing Hobbs and Drake in the process. They make it to land in Morocco, where Ray learns that Rott Meyer was Mannheim all along. Ray makes less his business partner pay for setting him up to close that loop and end the film. Been your most detailed last synopsis ever. I don't think we need to cover the movie. Uh, All right, thanks for joining us, everybody, and uh, we'll see yeah. you next time. <laughs> so the movie has a cold open. So if you were to watch mm-hmm. this movie, other—I mean, it showed the title "Escape Plan" at the beginning, but it has an open where we just see the character played by Sylvester Sloan called Ray Breslin. He's in prison. We don't know why. We don't know why he's in prison. I love how they introduce the guards as already as these schlub-like kind of narcissistic caricature of guards like right away you know like the one bald-headed guard he's the tough dude and then you got the schlubby tubby other guard who's kind of lazy but it's like why are guards in movies always like despicable people though doug you're a police officer right i am yes say it again (laughs) every episode are guards like this in prison yes Yes, oh, oh gee. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's two types of prison guards. You have schlubby type, the uh, do-nothings, the uh, overweight type, or you have like the bodybuilding, ready to crack somebody's head open type. Wow. There's very few in between. So this movie does depict those two individuals right away at the beginning. I would say it's pretty accurate. The guy with the bald head and goatee here who's putting Sly or Ray Breslin into his isolation. He's got a unique name. I thought his character was going to be bigger in the movie because his name is Rogue. R-O-A-G. I just thought it was a, a weirdly named name to give a guard that has very little to do in the movie. I don't know. That stood out to me. as an odd name. Did you pick that up from the credits or did they actually say his name? Both. It, uh, it sounds like a name that Sly would, would have given one of his characters, his own characters in the 90s. Yeah, and speaking of Sly, he had no part, at least credited, for writing or directing this film. Because there were a lot of beats in this movie that felt like they had Sly's uh, stamp on him. One example is the female character on his team uh, invites him to dinner, and he references how bad her cooking is. And at the end, they do a callback Uh. to that. That totally felt like Sly to me. What's that? Job offers. No, maybe later. Why don't you and me have a very special dinner? I'll cook. Haven't I something enough? <laughs> oh, Jesus. And that's the ending of the film, folks. 
<laughs> so if, if you haven't seen this film and that is the end of the film with a movie starring Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger you'd be like what in the world wouldn't it have been great though if the sequel was them just having dinner instead of that from what I understand abomination that we got it probably would have done better Ray Breslin he finds himself in a security prison and right away we see him looking around, observing. It's obvious as an audience member, we're already seeing him noticing the small things, the the smoke breaks, the layout of the cell. He's feeling the walls and looking at all the rivets. Just every which way one might figure out how to escape. And of course, we as the viewer, and rightfully so, because we're normal human beings, we're looking at this as like, there's just no way out of here. He's looking around for a way to get out and finding out how to get out of the cell. Are you thinking to yourself, there's any way I could break out of this prison? It just seems like a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you, you have to memorize guard rotations and cigarette breaks and stuff. And It was completely dependent on it being next to a fire station. Right. I mean, that's not really a flaw in the design of the prison. It's more a flaw in location. In his escape plan in this initial part of the movie that does factor in, I guess it's... <laughs> It is a flaw in security expert Ray Breslin's eyes. Uh, do you guys remember what this was originally called? And the, they say it in the movie at least twice. The tomb. Yes. Oh, the tomb, yeah. Because that's referring to the big prison later, yeah. This opening sequence is a little bit ridiculous. Are there prison cells like this, number one, Doug? I've never seen one with these spanning ceilings. There are isolation rooms and stuff, but I don't know. I've never seen a cell like quite like this. The walls are like 30 feet high. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I've never seen anything like that. I really, really enjoyed this opening sequence, though. I think it, it adds to the movie. If you had just done a cold open where you established that he's a security expert and his he's being charged with figuring out how to break out of the tomb, I don't think the movie would have worked as well, because getting to see him in action prior to the main mission, if you will... For me, at least, it made the movie infinitely better. You know, it's kind of a, a contrast to Lockup, too, because at the beginning of Lockup, you're led to believe he's a free man. Yeah. But he was just a prisoner on furlough. And here you're led to believe that he is an actual prisoner. He's just, this is his job. He's a free man working. What's he doing here with the toilet paper? Can you remind me? I don't know why he rolls up so many pieces of it, but he jams it in the uh, oh right right in that little door so it can't latch. Thank you. That's where he gets his food from. Yeah, so what we're seeing here for our listening audience, of course, which is everybody, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're seeing like a basically a montage of the daily life of quote-unquote prisoner of Ray Breslin, and he's taking whatever he's given, whether it's toilet paper, food items, and how these items can thus be used for his eventual escape. And then he's going to actually escape. Even we as an audience are like, how did he do it? Like a Houdini trick. And then he goes back and explains it, and that's where we find out that, yes, he is a... He works for the Federal Bureau of Prisons to figure out how to escape out of unescapable prisons. Mm-hmm. I know this is a movie, and I'm not looking for flaws. Right away, I'm thinking, there not there a way they could do this without impersonating a prisoner? Yeah, how about you just bring him in as a consultant, and you go through every inch of the prison, and he points where the flaws are. Exactly. Do you think that one of the main things is the personnel? Their uh, habits and stuff? Yeah. yeah. If that's the case, then they just have to train the personnel. That's part of the consulting is he'll say, look, they're doing their rounds at the same time every day. Like he would just go in and observe. I think when people know they're being observed, they don't act naturally. 
But as a reality TV watcher, like Survivor and stuff and Big Brother, I've watched interviews of people who say at first they are that way. And that's why in those shows, their friendships break down because they start to become real people again. They actually they get so used to the cameras that they start acting more natural again. It does get to the point where you start getting used to being on, on camera that you s- stop putting up an act. It's harder to put up an act for so long that you just eventually just become you again. Like policies and stuff are, and laws are written after mistakes are made. You might not think that the prison guards routine and the time of their rounds and their smoke breaks and stuff would play, would be a problem until you actually see it. I mean, you'd really have to observe them over a long period of time. For the record, I, I did enjoy this movie. Like, I wasn't bored. I had fun watching it, but it's a very flawed movie. It's mm-hmm. kind of based in a, in a real-like situation. I totally know what you're saying, but his job, like his real-world job, is to be a prison escapist expert. The best thing would be kind of to marry your scenario with this one where you do all that work before the thing's even built. You come up with an SOP and you do all that advance work and say, okay, this is how you're going to run your prison. But could you cover 100% of the issues? Doug, you're in the law enforcement. Have you ever heard of a prison escape? Not anything this sophisticated. Exactly. And I guess what I'm getting at is we're led to believe that the type of criminals that are locked up in these places are that... We're talking Lex Luthor intelligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're dumb enough to get caught, but they're smart enough to escape the prison. Well, escape proof means escape proof by any level of intelligence or, or, or smarts. But in order for this escape to work at the very beginning of the film, which we're still at, is we had to have a car explode in the parking lot. That doesn't seem like <laughs> a really a believable scenario. That's what I mean. This is an unfair advantage. For them to come back to the prison and say, look, your prison has flaws and you can escape from it. But in order for a prisoner to escape from your prison, we need to have outside help, correlating factors, an exploding car... Uh, a firefighter outfit, all this stuff came into play. It's fun to watch on film to see how did Ray Breslin break out. But the average human being, I would say, dare say, there is no human being that has this kind of go-to workforce that they could set up a car bomb. in an apart- Who's to say some old lady visiting their son in prison isn't walking to the car right in front of there? <laughs> <laughs> like- <laughs> and that will really be in prison because he's got a murder on his hands. What was Ray's three rules that, you you know, in order to escape? Knowing the layout, understanding the routine, and help from outside or in. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, that's ridiculous. After he gets out, he goes back to meet with the warden, and he details how he escaped. Yeah, and who was that dude? That warden was big. I want to say he was big like 25, 30 years ago, like... Ray Breslin, we see him in a firefighter outfit. We're going to hear that little synopsis of how he broke out. We'll play that for the audience. In the car ride with him is an actress that I really enjoy. Her name is Amy Ryan. And anyone that's watched The Office will know that she plays, spoiler alert, Steve Carell's character, his future wife. And also, Wasn't she also in The, in the Wire? Yeah, you beat me to it. Yes, I was going to say I love her in The Wire. So I fell in love with her. She's just so adorable. She's amazing, great actress. So when she popped up in this film, I guess I had seen her scenes in The Office and The Wire maybe after viewing this film. And I was like, whoa, she's in this film? And then we have driving the car, playing Hush, Ray's best friend, who's the tech expert, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson's in this film. <laughs> Probably the third best actor in this movie. <laughs> no joke, I'm not going to hate I, I mean, I like him in this. I like yeah, him a lot. It's good casting, and I haven't seen him in a lot of movies, but in this one, I think he, he nailed the role. 
I think he outperformed a, a lot of actors here that should have delivered a little bit more. So they have a little car ride reunion. We're introduced to the tech expert, which is played by 50 Cent. Uh, Amy Ryan, who plays – she's a senior member of the Breslin Clark prison people. Did you guys ever see Gone Baby Gone? Yes. Mm. And she kind of plays like a trashy yes. kind of character in that. I never watched The Office, but I didn't realize how attractive she was. That's where I remember her from Gone Baby Gone, and yeah. she's tremendous. She's 50 now, which is not a bad thing. I'm 44 for Pete's sake. So I'm just saying I've watched her in films from 10, 15 years ago onward. And yeah, she's she's like adorable. I'm, I'm totally gushing about her because I just think she's really cute. I think, uh, Ryan, you you just started your coverage of Rocky Balboa. I think she would have been a great little Marie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. You totally – that thought came to me watching this film. Craig, you and I, simpatico, same page. Couldn't agree more that had she been little Marie – and nothing – no offense to the actress that played little Marie, but – I think Amy Ryan would have been the perfect little Maria. Yeah, I know. It breaks my heart. And, but this was too late because this came out in 2013. Or 2013. Rocky Balboa came out in 2006. And the age difference is 22 years difference between the uh, between Sly and Amy. I worked that out already. Because they have a love interest or kind of a flirtatious interest with each other. And again, I have to do the ages. Sly is 67 in this film and she was 42 or 44. Now, I know we cover this every episode where we talk about Sly's age. Do you think he was playing 67 in this movie? <laughs> I'll say early 60s. I'll give him early 60s, like 60, maybe just say he's 60 years old. And she, the actress, Amy, would have been 44 still. That's still 16 years difference between these two. You know what gives him away in this movie? And I'm, and I'm waiting to see how it's handled in The Irishman. You kind of saw it in Captain Marvel, too, when they de-aged Sam Jackson, but... Sly sort of has that I'm an older man walk, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I don't know if you if you guys caught it in Captain Marvel, they did a wonderful job de aging Sam Jackson. But when he ran, you're like, yeah, that's a guy in his 60s running. Yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. That's a good point. I never thought of that. I haven't seen Captain Marvel yet. Uh, I'm hoping that they'll have a a new version of Captain Marvel where they'll have this computer software. They'll give Brie Larson a personality. <laughs> Oh, by the way, that is available to watch on Disney Plus, Ryan. It is. And even though I have Disney Plus and I'm able to watch it for free, uh, Brie Larson has the uh, personality of a cardboard box. Wow. <laughs> Doubling down on it. Okay. I don't care. Look, what, what, she, is she ever to come on our show? Listen, I watched Endgame. Either her character, Captain Marvel, that's the first time I saw it on screen, was Endgame, which was a great film. But her character and or her performance in Endgame, turned me off so much about her character that I don't want to watch her origin story. I will say this, and this isn't the Brie Larson podcast. In Captain Marvel, you get the reason that her character is kind of personality-less. Okay. Before we move on about Sly's age and everything, did you notice sort of an inconsistency the way Sly looked here? And I don't know if it was a shooting schedule or something, but this scene that you have frozen right now, it's a pretty slim and trim looking sly there were a couple of scenes where he looked a little puffy when he's in the tomb that second half of the film he does look a little less in shape i agree puffy is, is a byproduct of the hgh i think when he knew that he was going to be filming with arnold he was like oh man i gotta i gotta up my dosage maybe what, <laughs> did you ever see bolt to the head yeah he looked really good in that film and that was 2012 it was a year before this yeah he slimmed down for the Creed films. He had a more slim build, which I like. There were scenes in this movie, particular shots in this movie, where you're like, wow, that looks the sly of like 1995. All right, so here we go. So there's a scene here. Yeah, there's the warden. I've seen that guy a million times. I'm 
the CEO of BNC Security. You might have heard of us. No? All right. Well, we're an independent security company hired by the Federal Bureau of Prisons to test the integrity of their maximum security facilities nationwide. This is Ray Breslin. He's my partner and uh, resident Houdini. What? So that's Vincent D'Onofrio that everyone's hearing, having it up as usual. <laughs> Did you guys notice who he sounded like during this scene? Not Vincent D'Onofrio, that's for sure. He is channeling Heath Ledger's Joker voice. Oh, man. <laughs> Once you hear, you're like, holy smokes, he's doing a Heath Ledger impersonation, which came out about five years before. So we're going to find out uh, how Ray does his business here. It says for the last seven years, Ray's been doing this. So if we're going to go by real life age, he started doing this at the age of 60. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's a little past his prime, I'd say. But even if he did it, even if we say he's 60 now, he started doing this when he's 54 or 53. One of the people before Sly, they considered Bruce Willis for this movie. Yeah, so they definitely wanted somebody of a seasoned nature, somebody who's been around the block in whatever profession. And we'll find out later what Ray's profession actually was, which is really made me chuckle. For the last seven years, Ray has been inserted into every maximum incarceration facility. Okay, Heath Ledger. In the system. He is there to I'm picking make that sure up. that each and every one of them is 100% escape-proof. And uh, apparently yours wasn't, and he got out. Ta-da! See? <laughs> okay, fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose you're going to tell me how you did it. Think he wants to know? Doesn't seem like it. Okay, well, of course he's going to want to know how they broke out. I think that was meant to be slight insult to the warden. It seemed to me like Ray thought that the warden was part of the overall problem with the prison's escapiness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, maybe uh, if he was a little stricter with his men and how they took their breaks and stuff. Maybe. The leader of a, the CEO of a place that was just broken out of, he doesn't want to be the guy to admit that there was something wrong with his prison. So okay. he'd rather just stay blind to it. But why were they hired? Are people breaking out? No, thanks to them. <laughs> no, stop it. You know what I'm getting? <laughs> was there any need to make Vincent D'Onofrio's character like a germaphobe? It's <laughs> there's no payoff. It's no. it's such a needless character moment. It's D'Onofrio. He just hams it up in everything he does. He looked at the script. He's like, "This is so boring." Like the film itself is not a bad little escape plan, double twist, double cross, whatever type of film. I get it, but every single character could be played by a different actor, and the movie doesn't change. I would argue that. Arnold is a key performance in this movie. I don't think you could swap Arnold out and have it be as effective of a movie. Interesting. I will say that Arnold's performance was the highlight. Mm -hmm. This was a better Arnold film than a Sly film. Hands down. The fact that Arnold and Sly, the two biggest action stars of the 80s, were finally making a movie together that wasn't a two-minute scene in The Expendables, it was a big deal. And I remember pop culture sort of getting excited about this. It wasn't just the, fa the individual fandoms. It was a big deal in mainstream media about the fact that these two icons were finally teaming up for a movie, something people had wanted for a really long time. And I would argue that Arnold had sort of been out of the game long enough, and he had done, I think, The Last Stand, either right before this or right after it. Yeah. 
But I think Arnold approached this with the idea that he had a lot more to prove than Sly did. And hmm. as much as it pains me to say this, there's a couple of sections of this movie where it seems like Sly just sleepwalks his way through. Hmm. Kind of Bruce Willis's it up and just takes the pay- paycheck and lets uh, some other people do the heavy lifting. To be fair to Bruce Willis, at least he admits his balding. <laughs> <laughs> I give I give full credit to Bruce for that. And I know for one, hearing that these guys were gonna pretty much share a leading role, co-leads, I was excited for it. These guys in their own right, they were enormous action yeah. stars. I mean the box office doesn't reflect that. At least the domestic box office didn't, but I, I don't think anybody would argue that this wasn't a monumentous movie for both of them. I love Arnold. I love Sly. I've loved them my whole life as entertainment people. Even some of their movies or a lot of their movies are garbage, but they're fun garbage, you know? Like, we all recognize that, what they are. They're, it's a, they're fun. They're fun to watch. And I think that's why I was saying, though, where this is a film, though, kind of it failed them as action stars. And I think it's kind of a combination of it is a smart film. Like, it's not a, it's not a dumb film. It's silly in a little way, but it, it has enough intrigue and dialogue and relationships that... That it's not a complete it's not a complete disaster it's not a dumpster fire but i think it or sorry it misses the mark because we didn't get almost an expendables type team up it would have been better had they been like opposing players against each other or they were uh, on the same type of team or something to that effect like some sort of i don't know i feel like it was played i wouldn't say safe but it was played to their age a little bit so i think the box office was wasn't bad it made double and a half of its budget but I think it was partly because it was Sly and Arnold, but I think it didn't have legs because it wasn't that great. Look, they spent their prime years being real-life rivals. Right. That I think seeing them as part of the same team, as guys who are pretty close on the same team, like I, I think that was the real payoff for them, too. And I think it would have been hard for one of them to take a straight-up villain role. Mm. I don't think you could do like a face-off type scenario. I think both of them are big enough stars that they both want to be seen as the quote-unquote hero of the film. Did we talk about that they were originally considered for face-off? <laughs> yeah. That's... I don't know how you do that with the discrepancy in, in Bill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was done for the other one. I mean, John Travolta was kind of a schlub compared to Nicolas Cage at that time. So they, I thought the same thing when that came out, that, boy, they're really uh, they're really asking us to believe that only their faces changed here. <laughs> Uh, it's not my biggest what if. Do you guys know who was originally considered for Bad Boys? No. Sly and Arnold? No. John Lovitz and Dana Carvey. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. I would have I man. There's an alternate universe right now that has that and I want to see that movie so bad now. <laughs> How tall is Sly? They were giving him some serious help in this movie because he yep. looked much shorter than Arnold. When you see them walking together, <laughs> maybe an inch difference. Sly's supposed to be, what, 5'11", I've Oh, I've no, 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 no. Done this before. We always seem to forget his height. Now, I did look up Arnold's. Arnold is 6'2". Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sly is maybe 5'9". Like, they show them walking together. So it's not an apple crate situation. They had put had to put lifts in my man's shoes. He borrowed Tom Cruise's shoes. <laughs> Was he wearing, like... He's wearing, yeah, he's wearing Frankenstein uh, soles on his shoes. Sly is five nine and a half, and Arnold is six two and a half. That's six inches. Well, five inches is a lot. I'm not gonna lie to you. Let's 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 see how Ray broke out of this. We got to move along here. Ray, you're on. Well, let's start from the top. 
Any break requires three things. Knowing the layout, understanding the routine, and help from outside or in. If you know the layout, the weak side is obvious. In Ben Waters' case, it's the secure housing unit. The government expenditure was $17 million building that facility. It's state of the art. The only problem is, it's located next to an unsecured fire garage. Of course it is. First, I needed to get inside, so I made some enemies. Once inside, it was obvious you were short-staffed. Federal guidelines recommend two guards are present when transferring high-risk inmates. You only use one. Knowing the guard's routine was the next step. 30 seconds into my rec time, my CO took a smoke break. For seven minutes every day, there were no eyes on me. Two. After I knew the routine, all I had to do was pick the day and arrange for a distraction at the front gate for exactly 4 p.m. But at this point, you were still locked inside a steel box. To get out, you had to have a key code. You have very good chocolate milk. What you're going to hear now is he talks about how he took the plastic film from the chocolate box and put wax, it, yeah. the wax, and put it over top of the keypad, which happened to be right next to the door that he was able to keep open so he could access the code. And also, an unsecured fire garage in the middle of nowhere. What was that fire garage going to service? The prison? Yeah, it seems like you wouldn't need an entire fire. <laughs> I mean, it, it's established that's really in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they pass a, uh, on the way out, they stop at that general store or whatever. I mean, I guess it was there in case that general store burns down. Or catches on fire. Man, maybe that's their local volunteer fire department in the prison. That's basically what he did is he used the wax, got the code, you know, punched it in numerous times till the code worked. He broke out. The car blows up in the parking lot and he was able to climb up and out and around and, and he got out and holy smokes. I, he got I, out. You would have to have genius level type of thinking to even, to even come up with the plot to write this, let alone do it as a yeah. real human being. And Amy Ryan wears a disguise for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> true. Good call. That's true. I guess just in case security cameras pick her up. But there's no crime here. Yeah, because it's all authorized. I love how they authorize yeah. a car explosion in a public parking lot. It just kills me. <laughs> I like Ryan's concept of the little old lady coming to visit her, her son or whatever. <laughs> She's collateral damage and Ray's little escape. Uh, yeah. This eats up a lot of screen time. I mean, this movie clocks in in almost two hours, but I really felt that this 20 or so minutes really adds uh, some importance to this movie. It makes when he goes to the tomb a a little bit more, you know, you're like, okay, well, this guy obviously has a skill set. Let's see how he applies that. It's a fun open. You're not bored. You get to see just how good he is at his job because now he's going to be put into a situation where it's really going to test his ability to escape. So now they're at a meeting. So every, all the uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, Emmy Ryan, 50 Cent, Sly, they're all together at this conference table and a new contract's come in to set up basically the story for the movie now to give them a job that's going to be off the books, off the record. It's going to be dangerous. They all feel uncomfortable about it except for, of course, D'Onofrio's character and Sly because it's a lot of money and they want to take, mm-hmm. he, wants, he likes the challenge, he likes the money. It's twice his normal rate of $2.5 million. The CIA lawyer that comes in to kind of pitch the job to him, she's important, obviously, because she comes back later. But I think we need to just acknowledge her existence. Yes. Yeah. 
CIA lawyer. Yeah, Fifty Cent asks her, "Are you a, are you a spy?" She goes, "Worse, I'm a lawyer." I really think they did this plot twist a disservice by having her look so different. Here in this scene, her, her hair is up. Big reveal later, her hair is down. And if you're not paying enough attention, it wasn't immediately clear that she was the girl from the beginning of the movie. Hmm. Yeah, it took me a while to figure it out at the end there. This lawyer is Arnold's daughter. Okay. Her intention here is to truly put Ray in the prison with her dad to get her dad out of prison. Ray doesn't know this. I think Vincent D'Onofrio also then seizes it as an opportunity to get rid of Ray. So there's like two things going on. What does Vincent D'Onofrio's character know at this point? I don't think he knows anything, right? No, I, th- I think he just just sees an opportunity yeah. to to get rid of Ray and get this contract money. His endgame is given a job as like the CEO of the tomb. So he sees an opportunity. Just to get rid of his partner. Just, yeah, and she's there for her own reasons to get her father out. I had a hard time following who's who in the zoo sometimes. I got a little bit confused, like who's working for who. Mm-hmm. Mr. Breslin, after ending extraordinary rendition, the agency is looking for alternate situations for incarcerating the sort of people who commit acts so despicable they are best. Well, how can I put it? Eliminated. Disappeared. And we're currently testing a prototype to deal with people no government wants on their books. But first and foremost, the people financing this need to know these facilities are escape-proof before the whole system goes online globally. We know that she's sending him there to get her dad out, but he doesn't know that. He's just going to go in there cold. So who are the people in the prison, the tomb? The worst of the worst. We know that the prison, the tomb, is run by a shadow government agency of ex-military type people. We're told that later. Who are they working for? And why are we having so many men between the age of 35 and 50 or 67 in this prison? (laughs) Are they all like high interest criminals of what sort? It's also not exclusive to the United States either. It's, you know, there's inmates from from all around the world. That part kind of confused me. They say it's privately owned and run. Why would the owners take such a special interest in these despicable criminals money the girl uh amy whatever her name is how dare she, you she mentions it that, that there's there's no trials no convictions people are just thrown in these privately owned prisons you know there's no due process ray basically says yeah i'll do this job it's dangerous it's a lot of money but yeah sure you know there's no challenge i won't do great so as a viewer that's what we know we know that he's going to go into this prison we have no we as a viewer have no idea what it, what it's like he gets a chip put into him he's going to get picked up by the people that are going to take him to the prison but right away things go awry he's uh kidnapped basically by uh, people in a van they, they shove him in they know right away to take out the chip in his arm after searching his body for a chip so they dig out with a knife the tracking chip that his company put in his arm so now he can't be tracked by his people he gets knocked out like via gas or chemicals. They got shot in the neck with a needle. Long story short, he wakes up in the new prison and the cells are old glass. I out how the cells are raised up off the floor instead of being stacked up next to each other, like in a traditional prison, they're kind of catty corner, you know? So there's like a pot of four cells. It's kind of a cool setup right away. So this is kind of a cool moment. We as an audience, we're seeing the jail cell or the prison cell at the same time the character does. So it's, it's yeah, a nice effect. And it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. So we're kind of just as confused as he is. Yeah, and that, and that performance from Sly there is me waking up every morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they kind of do like 
a zoom out or a pull out where you, you really get the scope of how big this place is. We just know um, that Ray's in serious doo-doo here. And now we're introduced to the warden, played by a young Donald Sutherland named <laughs> Jim Caviezel, who is an actor that I have enjoyed throughout his career. You don't He's like him, Craig? I, I like him. He's terrible in this. I really? don't know. Yeah, I don't mind him. I just think the character is so, like, stock. We made the young Donald Sutherland connection. I mean, Donald Sutherland's character in Lockup is so over the top. He's a great villain. In this movie, it just felt everybody was trying too hard, from the guys writing the character to the performance. None of it worked for me. He's a sadistic guy, and I think he plays a good villain. Yeah, it's over the top, but, I mean, Christ, it's a Stallone movie. Of course it's over the top. (laughs) Okay, so here's the uh, intro. This is kind of a nice little intro. I love these guards in, like, the nondescript, Mm -hmm. you know, the creepy masks. I like that, too. Prisoner 7458, Anthony Portos. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the International Detainee Union Intake. I'm Warden Hobbs. Where's Warden Marsh? There is no Warden Marsh. What am I disoriented? Is that it? Yes, that must be it. And I didn't see a man killed on a transport helicopter and thrown out either, right? <laughs> Mr. Portos. Your intake is finished. Wait! My evacuation code is 310275. Evacuation code? Yes, evacuation code. Meaning you give me a number and walk out of here free as a bird? No. I don't think so. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I love uh, Craig shaking his head at the little... Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what about that Doug doesn't have a problem with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he's playing it really over the top, but he seems like a good bad guy to me. Yeah. I do love the fact that Ray instantly uses his evacuation code because he realizes that this is a situation that he shouldn't be in. Good, great point. I agree. I actually agree. This is. Uh, I, I feel like I've been crapping on this, and I don't mean to be, because once we get to this part of the film, outside of that crazy Houdini act at the beginning, it's actually there's some parts in this inside the tomb that work really well, and one of those parts is right here. Yeah, I noticed that right away that the bravado of the sly characters that he plays is not an issue here. This is just somebody saying, "Look, this my job is to break out of prisons." Already, this is. My evacuation code is this number. Let's stop the game. What I like is, for the warden here, he doesn't know who Ray Breslin is right now. He actually does believe he's a real prisoner. And so he's legitimately confused and like, really, what are you yapping about evacuation code? We're led to believe that he's just being a jerk, but it's actually true. He doesn't know who Ray is. I I actually thought that was a good too. The the warden's name is Hobbs, right? Mm. Do you think we're ever going to get a shared universe with the Fast and the Furious? (laughs) Where like he is somehow related to Hobbs? There's like a Vin Diesel, Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, and The Rock. Like a big Fast and the Furious gang have to break out of a maximum security prison on the moon or something. <laughs> and he's their guy on the inside. <laughs> you do need help from outside or in, so he's their guy. Paging Matt Marchand. Paging Matt Marchand. <laughs> well, speaking of connection, this movie was nominated for an IGN Best Action Movie Award. But a lost to the Furious Six. <laughs> so there's your connection. And it was also nominated for another award. Can you guess what award it was nominated for? A Razzie. <laughs> yeah. Worst on screen duo. 
no, surprisingly not. It was just worse actor to Stallone. <laughs> Jeez, you know, I, I, I've, I've argued against the Razzies a lot on this show, but with this movie, I think that nomination is justified. Oh, come on. It was, it was <laughs> the Warren is not letting him out. His team doesn't know where he is. I like that they kept the team involved. We cut away to them a couple times during the movie to show that they're not just sitting back waiting for him to arrive. As soon as his tracker went off, they knew there was something wrong as well. And they're trying to use all of their tools to find him. So we're about to see it. The first meeting between Porthos or Ray Breslin, but Porthos is his, as his secret identity for the prison and Rotmeyer, <laughs> who's played by none other than Arnie. So you might go this whole movie asking yourself, why does Arnold's character take such a, an interest in this Portos guy? Is because the name Portos is his keyword. I like that detail. Yeah, I agree, Doug, because when I first, well, when I first saw this, when I saw this yesterday and we see the Arnold character take an interest in the Sly character right away, I felt like, oh, they're doing this because it's Sly and Arnold. Mm-hmm. And so I automatically felt that. And I felt that way through the whole film that their relationship was too contrived. And I was. And pro- payoff, at least. Yeah. Yes. And when, so when the daughter reveals that, no, your secret identity was a code word to my father, that you're the one that he needs to contact and use you as a tool to get out of this prison, it actually retroacts the whole movie. The payoff is actually to watch the movie again, knowing. So this is a movie where I will say that a repeat viewing is almost necessary because what I thought were lazy writing, it was actually smart writing to bring these characters together, that it wasn't just to get Arnold and Sly on the same screen. Right, because Ron Mayer uh, was all too eager to put himself in the box and get beat up by guards and the warden and everything, but there was a reason why. As a first-time viewer in my eyes, I forgot everything. I thought, boy, this character that Arnold's playing, he sure loves Sly. I thought it was just to represent their off-screen friendship, but no, it actually serves as a story purpose. Yeah. And I love his introduction here where these guys are about to rough up Sly and Arnold comes over and says, leave my, my little buddy alone. His reveal is cool too, where we see him from the back first and then it pans around to his front. Glorious goatee. Yeah. Arnold looks great in this movie. The Arnold has aged well. And not the Sly hasn't, but I think Arnold's done less work on his face. Agreed. Mm. He's still got his eyebrows in their original position. <laughs> did, it re- did it move his eyebrows? <laughs> it's a little bit of a Terminator sound. It's time. Back away. Puertos. Rapmeyer. Emil Rapmeyer. Really not much in the handshaking mood right now. Okay. Your name. The Fourth Masketeer. It's a good name. Why are you in here? Why do you care? I used to work security for a guy by the name of Mannheim. Victor Mannheim. Have you heard of the name? Mannheim, let me see. No. He's a genius. Really? <laughs> he has this habit of taking money from the rich and giving it to the poor. So there we go. Now that I'm watching again, like he's talking about himself. Yeah, that's why he uses the word genius. It's, it's great. Yeah. He knows that Porthos is the nickname of the guy that's going to get him out of prison, but I guess he's trying to fish to find out, does he know anything about me? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, another thing he seemed too eager to do was talk about the Mannheim guy. We know now that's Tim. So he wants to know right. what is it. I guess he's trying to find what did his daughter tell him about him. And now he's finding, okay, he doesn't know anything about me. Yeah. We're starting from zero here. Yeah. You've heard that story before. I've heard that story, yeah. Now they try to find him. But I'm not going to help them. Okay. So, Porters, don't get killed, if you say so. Ask them to kill the guy in here. They let his body rot for three days. Mm. Oh, and they canceled the prison dance. Wouldn't want to fuck up the prom. Round goes to Arnold there. <laughs> so there you go. So for our listening audience, hope that makes sense. Is that Arnold is two characters? Ironically, so is so is Breslin or Sly's character. It's funny how they're both playing two different characters. Arnold was great in that scene, though. I mean, I, Arnold really brought it in this movie. This scene was a great introduction and right out of the gate. And his best is yet to come. Yeah. So Vinnie Jones is in this film playing a baddie. I, again, I was like, I can't. love this guy. It, uh, this might be my favorite Vinnie Jones villain just because of the way he goes out. He was great in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. He was a good bad guy in that one. Yeah, He's a big I, guy, Richie guy, right? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Snatch. He's not around anymore, right? I mean, like, he, I haven't seen him in probably since his movie. Did he do uh, one of the Punisher films? Was that him? No, that was the other dude. Uh, what do you call that guy? Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Forgotten. Thank you. So we see the warden working on a pet butterfly or a painting of a butterfly there. Another useless character moment. I don't care that this guy has a sensitive butterfly side. It's a nod to the film Papillon. That's French for butterfly. I heard that too, but I, I don't see the through line. Is that a prison film? Yeah, Papillon with Dustin Hoffman and... Um, Keep saying it, and I still don't... <laughs> no, it's like a Dustin Hoffman and uh, who's the other dude that did the uh, Bullet, the movie Bullet? Uh, McQueen? Yeah. I always thought it was Papillion, so that was no, my takeaway from today. I learned how to pronounce that movie correctly. Yeah, it's French. Papillon. Right. You didn't know it before you moved to Quebec, did you? I knew how to pronounce it. Gee. <laughs> you guys are just uh, America. Papillon. 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 <laughs> Two tickets to Papillon, please. <laughs> this is about as useless as the, you know, germaphobe Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, the butterfly thing, because there's no payoff to that either. Yeah. I like how Ray isn't instantly sort of on board with... Rotmeyer? Rotmeyer? Yeah, Rotmeyer's sort of olive branch or, you know, wanting to be buddies. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of, though, confides, not confides in him, but he trusts him enough to say, I need to get into the uh, solitary confinement area. Yeah, I think it's also an aspect of Ray's been in the game long enough to know that you have to use every asset that you can to get what you need. We also kind of see that Ray really wastes no time in putting his plan into trying to come up with a plan. Yeah, well, I think he knows the longer he's in here, the less chance of him getting out there is. Mm-hmm. The, both Arnold and Sly's characters are talking about getting Sly into isolation. Right. And so in order for that to happen, they have to have a fight. They have to throw punches at each other because in prison, you know, having a fight and causing chaos gets you thrown into isolation. That's your standard. Let's play this part here a little bit of them fighting. And this is where we see the art in real life kind of mixing. Who would win a fight between Sly and Arnold? And they get to play it off a little bit. Okay. That's a favor? 
Sometimes fate is hurt. Really? Come on. Okay. See what you can do. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you hit like a vegetarian. Uh, Sly's character, Ray, punches Arnold. I'll give Sly credit because he's not afraid to be self-deprecating a little bit. We're seeing this play out as an audience and that Arnold is unaffected by the punch. You know, and he laughs. He goes, hit like a vegetarian. <laughs> which is A vegetarian. <laughs> I love that line. Every time I see Sly throw a punch in any one of his movies, I'm like, man, he's still got it. He's still got that Rocky punch, man. That Rocky punch, yeah. <laughs> you can do better than that. <laughs> Come on. Right. Let's see it. Try this. Hurt? What's good? Look what's coming. Now, I love this scene here. A Thunderlips versus Rocky moment where <laughs> Arnold picks up Sly and does a... Yeah, stunt double does. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is where stunt doubles come in. You can see the padding in the legs here. Yeah, yeah. That's a legitimate suplex. So, like, it's, you know, WWF style. Oh, yeah. These are stuntmen. There's a reason why it's filmed from the back and not the front. Mm-hmm. Relax. Let's pretend. <laughs> I love that moment. His face. Relax. Let's pretend. <laughs> I love that because Arnold's character just... Literally just <laughs> suplex body slam them <laughs> on a concrete floor, and, he, and Ray Breslin's about to punch him in the face, and he's like, "It's for telling him to relax." <laughs> yeah, that's a great moment, actually. And Arnold, like you said, Craig, really does deliver that kind of comedy, and he delivers in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the fight goes on. Of course, it's broken up, and they're both going to be thrown in isolation. This isolation, the box, whatever they call it, like it brought me back to lockup. Mm. Oh, like yeah. this has that old style prison feel. This doesn't look state of the art. It's you know, it's an isolation chamber, except yeah. for the uh, the giant floodlights. <laughs> Why does Ray Breslin's character think he needs to be thrown into isolation? So does he automatically assume that old isolation holding cells are escapable? I think it's more he needs to get more a picture of the overall layout of the facility, and then also yeah, find an alternate holding area that could possibly have a weakness because he's established that that glass box he's in isn't going to provide him any means for escape. No, you want to look at every possible out that you have. Do you think those are Sly's hands here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can see the lack of knuckles and... Flat knuckles. Yeah. There's these big, huge floodlights that are just pouring heat and light on them, which is a great torture technique. This is one of those classic movie sort of setups where you know you show something and you set it up for later the box becomes a an important plot element in the movie when the doctor shows up i forgot sam neil was in this movie (laughs) why why is sam neil in this movie somebody threw him a bone he's a pretty well-known actor isn't he nobody's going to see a movie because sam neil's in it though jurassic park anybody come on (laughs) not in 2013 so they did him a favor you think I think so, yeah. Well, I mean, when was the last time you'd seen him prior to this? That's a good question. It's such a weird cast. Yeah, this is probably the best character arc of the whole movie because you've got this doctor who has clearly compromised um, his values. He's disregarded uh, the Hippocratic Oath. You don't really get any indication about 
how or why he ended up here. But at the end, he redeems himself. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that none of that is really spelled out. There's references to daughters in this movie a couple of times, but they never clearly say, you know, what this guy's path was, how he ended up in the tomb and how he ended up compromising himself, which I really, really dug. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I like it. I like his character. They don't really establish him all that well, but you can tell the struggle between, you know, his internal struggle that he goes through in every scene that he's in. Like, he knows what's right. Even after Ray kind of spells out the situation to him, you can see his his mind is going, his wheels are turning. This is the Warden Hobbs and Rottmeyer, Arnold's character. He's going to tell the Warden where Victor Mannheim is, which is, of course, that's Rottmeyer. So he's playing with him to buy some time and to find some metal that he knows is on the floor in this room that Ray needs to do whatever he needs to do with that metal. So that's kind of the setup here. He gets waterboarded more or less later in the the sequence. But this little interplay here, he's going to draw a map. So he's asking for pen and paper to draw a map to where Victor Mannheim is. And we as an audience know that's going to be something, but I think it's a fun little little interplay. The drawing? Yeah, we'll we'll have to describe the drawing after it's done, but let's hear the interplay. Ten seconds. Where's Victor Mannheim? You know, to many people, he's a hero. Nine seconds. Do you have a pencil and a piece of paper? Eight seconds. I could draw you a map. Where you could find him. You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an artist. My God, you are pushing it. Problem was, I had no talent. Six seconds. I tried, and I tried, and I tried. Five. Do you have dreams? Four. Where did you always want to be? Two, one, done. There. <laughs> told you. So he says, "Told you, no talent as an artist that he had." So, of course, for our listening audience, he drew a picture of his bum with an arrow pointing. You know, this is where you can find. Straight up, that's great. He actually throwing uh, crap at the warden there saying, did you have dreams as a child? Like, I had dreams of being an artist, but, you know, I have no talent. But for you, did you dream of being a warden? You know, kind of a knock on his career itself. Throwing some shade. Yes, that's the word, shade. As the kids as the kids say nowadays. This is without even knowing where they are. I mean, you would question his choice once you find out where the, the tomb is. So he finds this metal. The metal is used to loosen some screws in the isolation cell. I love the whole description that, you know, they used, what, aluminum instead of steel for the screws. Mm-hmm. And when subjected to a, a certain amount of heat or whatever, they rust as opposed to steel, which won't. And that creates a weakness in the holding cell or in the box. Right. Yeah, it uses the reflection of the floodlight onto those rivets to pop them out so we can pull up the floorboard and do some recon. And I also love the fact that Ray is partially right here. He feels like they've been built underground, and little does he know that it's not quite what he thinks. His theory was, what, halfway there? But the reveal is is really effective, even though the CGI is real shitty. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was bad CGI. So, yeah, he says that this place is subterranean, which would make sense as if you're like, oh, yeah, subterranean, because he says there's moisture in the air. They get thrown into the holding cell again, the isolation, both of them. And he uses that metal to reflect the light onto the screws to make them expand at 0.03 cubic centimeters. Those rivets are going to come right off, he says. They're going to pop right off. So this guy is a genius, man. 
Like, at the end of the day, this is like MacGyver-level stuff here. He gets in, and through... It's, it's hard to explain. I mean, of course, anyone listening to this podcast has either seen the movie anyways, or if you haven't, just go watch it anyways. Uh, again, it's an amazing timing of him getting down, running through the area. We still don't know where he is. He goes through this, this way and that way, and he goes through a uh, hatch. The hatch opens up to go outside, and we see a big reveal, and that reveal is that he's on a huge 1,000-foot-long, 200-feet-high cargo ship i think it's a genius place to have an escapable prison so when why I went, would you want to work there it, right in that's, the middle of nowhere that's my job in the navy <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere yeah you're moving though right yeah yeah this is this is pretty stationary this is a, a ride to nowhere i do have some nautical experience being in the navy I do work on a smaller vessel it's not a thousand feet long I will say that no matter the size of the vessel, you will feel the motion in the ocean. So this is where it's just movie. I've never been on a cruise, but it's my understanding that on those big cruise ships, you're not aware that that you're on the water. But it depends on the sea state. So yes, this is played later into the film where he talks about, well, we must be in an area of calm water. Because he actually says that. Like, yes, the ship is built with stabilizers. Those stabilizers are what cruise ships has that helps keep the ship from doing this every time the water moves. It's able to counterbalance whatever, you know, whatever you're feeling in the water. That is a real thing that ships and larger ships have. But keep in mind that no matter how big the ship is, the ocean's bigger. What I'm saying here for this, yes, they're in calm waters. They're not. You can move smooth as glass. There's no way a ship this big, a thousand feet long, two hundred feet wide, you're not going to hear an engine. Mm. This thing's powered by an engine, so I don't know how they're able to suppress the noise. They even talk about the engine room. They go to the engine room, but the end, yeah. engines are noisy, and surface ship engines are very noisy. They are never designed to mask their sound. It's impossible. And if they're not far below the deck. They're gonna. Be closer to the engine room. Anytime it makes a speed change, anything, you're going to hear something. They're going in circles too, right? There's just no way they didn't feel anything. But Ryan, I also feel like you kind of created a little zen-type poster there when you said, what was it, no matter the size of the ship, the ocean's bigger? Mm. That really just hit me, man. Overall metaphor for life, man. (laughs) I could see that printed on like a a little motivational poster or something. Or demotivational. Yeah, I was going to say, life... (laughs) (laughs) And this is also the sequence where we get that tremendous performance from Arnold when mm-hmm. he's in the box, buying time for Ray. Yeah, he's go. pretending to uh, freak out, right? When he starts speaking German, that's the great thing about that scene and that performance is you can't tell where he is. Is he completely in control of his, in, himself or is that switch to German, you know, him just going to his natural instincts or is it an attempt to confuse and buy time? It's, it's a great multi-layered performance, I think. Agreed. Want to hear a little bit of it for audience? Yeah. He's speaking German, which we know is Austrian. The, I'm going to sound ignorant here. Austria and Germany, how close are they as a country? They're very close, right? They, sh- I mean, they share a border. Is that what they speak there? Is German in Austria? I'd assume it's a similar dialect. It's a dialect, maybe? Because that's where Arnold's from, is Austria. Austria. What I read was this is his native language. I don't know if it was German or Austrian. I think there is some difference, but whatever he's speaking is his native language. There's probably people yelling at their listening device right now, but I think it's probably like Spanish, where there's different dialects. If you speak Spanish, you can sort of understand, but you, you know, there's key differences. I know this is going to sound silly, but watching him go pretend to be crazy but speak his native tongue, it would be interesting Arnold. to see Arnold 
act in the movie speaking his native tongue. It's easier, as you know, just to speak your own language. and You're, just, you're a better actor if you don't have to think of, of another language. Jean-Claude Van Damme did that in a film called JCVD. Where he plays himself, Yes, right? but he, and he spoke French throughout the film, and everyone was lauding, or that's applauding in a good way, his acting chops, because he was being himself, and he was able to just act his own language, and it's in a great film. A great film. I highly recommend it, by the way. Yeah, I liked it. It was fun. Agreed. It's at the point where Ray realizes that you're going to need that th- that third component where you're going to need help from the inside. Oh, good catch. I didn't, even, <laughs> I didn't even make that connection. Oh, really? But I just watched the movie as it progressed along, forgetting that callback of the three things you need. I just Without the doctor, they're on that ship forever. Oh, mm-hmm. the doctor saved the day. He... Uh, Remembered his Hippocratical Oath. Is that what it's called? Did I say it right? Hippocratic. Yeah. Thank you. I said hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. Or hap- yeah. Hippocratical. Well, we get the reveal here where, that uh, Ray's business partner wants to keep him locked away forever. Finds out who he's really holding. Yeah. And we see Vincent D'Onofrio is revealed. Vincent D'Onofrio's character is a shady guy. The warden now knows who Ray Breslin is. We see that Ray Breslin's his book on you know how to make your prison inescapable is sitting on the warden's desk. I like that Ray's book is like the warden already admires Ray, not knowing that he's Portos, the guy he has locked in his own prison. Yeah. And and then we also get kind of mini Rocky three Eye of the Tiger moment where Hobbs ramps it up and gets Vinnie Jones to really break Ray's spirit. He doesn't allow him mm-hmm. to sleep. You sort of get Arnold in the Apollo spot being motivated and saying hey you know you got to keep it together or else we're not going to get out of here i really like that we see ray come through the other side yeah you got to believe this torment has been going on for like a while it's not just a day or two mm-hmm. this is an important scene coming up right after what you just mentioned there craig what made you want to spend your life in prison hmm. tell me what made you do it tell me I was a lawyer, prosecutor. Man I put away made a promise to me. This man thought about that promise every day for three years. Planning his way out of prison. Planning on how he's gonna keep his word. Taking a man's life is nothing. Taking his heart. That's everything, isn't it? Everything. He was a lawyer. He was a prosecutor. <laughs> Can you imagine the world before this film? The, the <laughs> Objection, your honor. <laughs> Can you imagine him pouring over books, studying in law school? And like, <laughs> <laughs> wearing, wearing the glasses from Rocky where, where, that are taped on the side. Yo, how do you spell Del Rio? <laughs> Basically, his family got killed by a criminal who came out and says, you put me away for jail, prosecutor Breslin, I'm going to break out of this jail, kill your family. They showed a tremendous amount of restraint here because all they do is show like a drawing in Ray's desk that says daddy, and it's obviously a kid's drawing. So you kind of deduce from that it was his family. As he's saying, you know, you take your heart, that's everything. They didn't do like some kind of dissolve to... his wife and son screaming or something like that. I like that they show restraint and not going too deep into that detail. Very good point. He's got all the pieces lined up. 
now they just need to get a message out. That, like we're saying, the doctor's going to get a message out. And that how that's done is he tells the doctor, go to the warden's desk. On his desk is a book. In that book, on this page, is this kind of information. The doctor will come back and say, how did you know that book was there? And how did you know that that page covered that topic? Because he says, I'm the author. I wrote that book. Then the doctor realizes, oh, boy, people are in this prison that shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that there is mistreatment of prisoners, we don't know much more about the doctor other than that he does work here on the facility as a prison doctor, which every pr- prison has doctors. But now he's realizing this is a corrupt institution more than ever, and decides that enough's enough. Sends out the message to get the outside help from Arnold's people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we get the ticking clock, which is sort of essential in any movie like this. They need to be surface level at a certain time, or else this helicopter will show up and just leave. Do we want to gloss over that instrument they made to get to see where they are in the hemisphere? It just shows Ray's sort of knowledge, and he builds a way to get half of their coordinates. I do like how they bring in this third character, the Muslim. You know, they realize they need to bring in a third guy to sort of help them escape. I think it's a great character. I kind of feel like in 2013, he goes out the way he does as sort of, I don't want to say if it's woke, you know, establishing that, hey, Muslim guys can be heroes, you know, not the bad guy in a movie, which I kind of appreciated, but it seemed like it was a little bit of a 2013 right. uh, social justice sort of threw those people a bone. And he was pretty yoked, too. Yeah. When he took his shirt off. Yeah. I was like, wow, this guy, he's put in some time. I, he must have heard that he was cast against Sly and, and Arnold, which has to be like a huge thing. And he was like, damn, I'm going to have to step up my gym game. So, yeah, the instrument they use is called a sex tent. They made it out of whatever they made it out of. Now, it's kind of silly. It just figures out what side of the world they're on. You do need the horizon to make this work, by the way. So it's kind of a film flub because he's inside that <clears> cell. <throat> he only had the vision of the sky. In addition to that, Ray just uses a bunch of movie math to figure out that they're off the coast of Morocco. Yeah, so he deduces this is kind of. <laughs> 11 degrees, 22 minutes. We're in horse latitudes, calm water. North and south. Water goes counterclockwise above the equator, so we're north. How do we get the launch into it? He brought a new fish in yesterday. He said it was November 20th. We got warm rain, warm air at sea. November. Now you're building a secret facility, you're putting it on the water. You're at 30 degrees north latitude because you want to avoid rough water. So you're going to want to stay away from the Caribbean and the Pacific, say east of the China Sea. I was a bad man. I said we could be off the coast of Morocco. There you go. Lots of deductions. Not bad. Not bad, Ray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy's a freaking genius. The, the amount of knowledge that he has as a secure... He, six years ago, seven years ago, he was a prosecution lawyer. That's his background, not even in the military. All this information he has is from seven years of breaking out of prison. So he knows where to find yourself on a global map with a couple <laughs> degrees. Right. Hey, when you're going to do something, do it all the way, man. Oh, it's <coughs> insane. So he enlists the doctor to get word out to Rotten Meyer's people. Yeah. That's the last piece of the puzzle. They stage a prison riot. I love the fake out here where Hobbs gets faked out because he's watching Ray on the camera and he sees him tapping out a message and goes to Ray's book, which should have really tipped him off um, that he was being played. There's an international tapping code. Who knew? It's like Morse code, I guess. He sees that there's going to be a riot um, in cell block C, so he sends all the guys there. And then the riot is in the other section of the prison. It's great to see Hobbs get played. 
Mm-hmm. That's right, because now they got less guard. Then now begins the great escape, really. Mm-hmm. The black stormtroopers are beating up the prison inmates, and the three amigos get out of there, Havid and Ray and Rottmeyer. And then the smartest thing Hobbs does here is he puts the whole prison on lockdown, which basically locks off their escape hatch, a heavy magnetic lock. Why are the locks just magnetic? They're heavy-duty magnets, I mean... That doesn't make sense. You would think if they did a lock, it would just be a latch lock. Like It closes and it just locks. The only way to open it would be with power, if that makes sense. So if the locks go in, power goes out, locks stay in. But the way this prison is built, that once the power shuts down, the magnetic force that connects them disengages and whatever locking mechanism they had disengages. A lock can be picked or compromised. A magnet cannot be compromised. Unless the power goes out. You have five seconds before the backup generator kicks in. It makes more um, secure sense to use those magnets. Well, you and I are not going to build a prison together, obviously. So (laughs) (laughs) why are all the cameras connected? It didn't make sense that they would be sort of networked. And if one went, they all went. But we get that great moment where Ray tells the two guys to say cheese and, and Arnold, the other gentleman, smile for the camera. <laughs> they ham it up. That. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. They have motion detectors. Motion detectors don't work that way. Yes, a motion detector will trigger when there's movement in an area. Yeah, these motion detectors, not only that, but they basically GPS the person. Yeah, I thought they had some kind of transponder on their person. No. So did I. It's just a motion detector. It's able to 3D analyze three objects moving. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I know it's just a movie, but it's that fine line between they're trying to make it real life, like real life scenarios, but then they use technology that is so – like it's alien technology. Did you guys catch the moment when Arnold's character goes to the helicopter and he grabs the gun? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was such a great movie because this is a gun that's on like a tripod, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a mounted gun. Yeah, yeah. Pulls it, should... it off and that's Arnold being Arnold, man. There's two moments. One, the Arnold reveal. So they're definitely paying homage that this is an uh, Arnold coming back to a kind of an action movie because there was that sequence at the very beginning when, you know, Sly doesn't get that kind of reveal. He definitely gets mm-hmm. the most screen time. But the Arnold reveal in the jail, you know, the turnaround camera, and then we kind of get it again when he receives the gun from the helicopter. It's almost like he's the Terminator in T2. That's what it reminded me of when he shot all the cops there with the tear gas from the top of the building. It was that same kind of feeling that when he held this gun to shoot the guards, it was that same type of homage to the Arnold holding of a machine gun type movement. Mm -hmm. And it kind of felt a little like Predator too. Yeah, definitely. I got some Predator vibes there. So Sly beats up Vinnie Jones. Who has the great, he falls down the stairs and, you know, you, you get to see that pretty graphic um, shot of him at the bottom of the stairs with a cracked skull and probably a broken neck. <laughs> yeah, I think he's dead. The, Arnold's team comes in, the Victor Mannheim squad comes in to break their boss out of this uh, prison cell. I kind of feel bad for the captain and his crew because they're just sailing a ship. Are we not to feel bad for them? Okay. All right. Uh, it, it's kind of like that argument that they made in Clerks about the Death Star and the contractors <laughs> building the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Same thing. These guys had to know. I mean, there's masked armed security guys patrolling the, the upper levels of this. They had to know that they were getting paid dirty money. But what I love then is that the captain's wearing like a captain outfit. Like if this is a really a shot. <laughs> It doesn't make sense. It's like I'm working for a shadow organization that's mistreating prisoners in the middle of the ocean off the Moroccan gut. But I'm going to put on my captain's cap, my captain's shirt. I am the captain. 
<laughs> hey, he didn't go to captain school to not, you know, get to wear his suit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's wearing his getup. I love how he calls down to whoever. We've got a situation here. Yeah. Here. Uh, I overlook a lot of flaws of this movie because I, I truly did enjoy it. But the shit that I cannot overlook is when Ray's hanging off this helicopter by the ladder, Hobbs is shooting with a handgun from the boat and hitting the helicopter, hitting the rope on the rope ladder. Give me a freaking break. Well, I'll go one further. The fact that Arnold spots Ray in the water as well, oh. like that's just such a fluke. If they were on the other side of the boat, Ray would have been at sea. Mm-hmm. In the open here. water. Their aim is incredible. Moving helicopter, moving ship. Their uh, aim was amazing. I think Hobbs had a couple of lucky shots there. I think the ladder on the helicopter was just a complete fluke. Uh, that so bothered me. Again, with Sly in the water to get picked up by the helicopter – how he gets there is really unimportant. Just watch the movie. So he he gets off the ship. He escapes from the engine room, gets into the water, the helicopter that's manned by Arnold's character. They pick him up. You'll notice here the Sly uses his left arm because he again tore his right arm. <laughs> In filming this? Yeah. Uh. Maybe the workout regime or something. He screwed up his arm again, and so he's waving with his left arm because his right arm is mucked. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Now he's grabbing the ladder by his left arm, too. See? Oh. He only one-armed it because he was literally that injured. I really don't feel like Hobbs's death here um, was as brutal as it should have been. Now, I know he gets incinerated. or I really felt like there should have been an up-close-and-personal dispensing of justice. Yeah, I thought that, too. Uh, I thought it was odd that classic 80s movie blowing up. It just gets blown up. Yeah, but then showing his burning body <laughs> roll off the barrels, that, that was kind of graphic. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, you see him fall down. You clearly see that. Oh, it's, oh, it's like, coming up. I want to see it. Sly's character shoots all these, of course, there's explosive hazardous barrels right where he is, of course. Mm-hmm. They're all flammable. He's already punctured the flammable cans, okay? The, now the material is running onto the deck. The kill shot's coming. The Hobbs, Warden Hobbs, knows he's about to die, and he kind of shrugs his shoulder. Meh, I guess I'm dead. Yeah, he goes, hmm, hmm, yeah. You got me. And I love how Sly's character knew that the next shot's the one that ignites. How come the first five bolts didn't ignite it, but the kill shot does? Boom. Oh, there's the body. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that the first time. Okay. Love Arnold's life. Have a lovely day, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the asshole makes it. Oh, there's the body falling off. I don't know how I missed yeah. that. Okay, there's the body. It falls off. Asshole. <laughs> I think this is important for the audience to at least hear how all this worked out at the end. There's a vehicle approaching, and we know this is Victor's people, but a female walks out, and this is key here. The Zach Galifianakis guy. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Let's, let's check this out. You met her before? Jessica Mayer. It's an honor to meet you. Your work is the gold standard in the field. She's been the eyes and ears inside the agency. Hello, Dad. And she's also my daughter. Hello, darling. I missed you. What happened? Oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. You're Mannheim. Didn't see that coming. Should have. Yeah, he really should have because he figured everything else out in this movie. Yeah. 
the first time you viewed it, did you know it was Mannheim, or were you just as no. okay? I've forgotten this part. You right up to then. How'd you do it? We have code names. Code name Rotmare meant maximum security incarceration. When my dad was picked up. It activated the code. And that's what you called less plus. I needed the best. And after you agreed to do it, I used my contacts deep inside the DHS to get you in. And the name you gave me was the ID code. What else? Rapmeyer, Emil Rapmeyer. And I became your best friend. You are not user-friendly. I mean, I had to work very hard in the damn box. I mean, that was hot. It did get warm, yeah. But it doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm out and so are you. All right. That's uh, how they tied that up. But we still have one more loose end we need to take care of. Mm-hmm. The guy that screwed him over. <laughs> yeah, they, so they end up putting him inside of a car. He goes into his car. This, they, this is brutal. It's really hardcore. He deserves it. I'm not going to feel sorry for him. Craig, so you're you're ruthless this episode. Dead captains on a ship. You don't care. He basically hung his partner out to dry and and buried him basically mm-hmm. to rot away. I That's mean. true. He was gonna let Ray rot and die in the prison. Yeah. So now he's gonna rot and die in that own in that freight. But in theory, that freight could be unloaded in whatever port, and he gets pulled out anyways. Yeah, yeah, but those are thousands of containers, and God knows where in that pile he is. Somebody to open that container. If there's no manifest for that, right? It yeah. just Craig, you're from New Jersey. I'm sure you've driven up the turnpike and seen those container fields along the Elizabeth Seaport. Mm-hmm. There, there are stacks and stacks, thousands upon thousands of containers like that, just stacked in a container field, Ryan. And God knows you know, when they get to them. Eventually, someone's going to. Imagine the stink in there and the the dead corpse yeah. in there. Ugh. Oh, yeah. They have more job offers at the end of the film. Uh, Abigail shows Ray Breslin, hey, we've got more job offers, kind of winking at a possible sequel, which (laughs) we get. We get two of them. (laughs) Two maybe Ryan doesn't show up in either of those, although we do get Curtis 50 Cent Jackson back for both of them, I believe. Yeah, so Curtis Curtis Jackson, he's in parts two and three, and so is Batista. Yeah, Big Dave. When are we covering those films? (laughs) I have to watch them first. I know they're both, at least here in the States, available on Amazon Prime. From what I've heard, part two is atrocious and part three was a little bit better. <laughs> we'll get to them, I guess. I think Matt said that part two is awesome. So <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> Stop Craig, are you saying that with a straight face? Come on. Yes. Well, come on. I'm just saying Matt loves everything Sly does. It's hard to gauge anything that's good. I don't think Matt's got a bad thing to say about Sly regarding anything. He loves everything Sly touches is gold. Gold. Mm-hmm. Craig, stop it. <laughs> He's the only one I've heard that said that that movie is worthwhile. Although I do feel like I kind of have to watch it close to having seen this one again because it's probably going to be another six years before I watch Escape Plan again. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I should watch the sequels in pretty close proximity. Okay, so this movie's not bad. It's fun. It's a fun watch. It's a little bit long here and there, but we have eight minutes of credits, so already it's only an hour and 40 minutes long, so it's not too bad. Good side characters. Where, where it could have been bad, it was good. I even liked The Warden. I know you didn't, Craig, but I think Doug and I both agree. The Warden's performance by Jim, I think it wasn't that bad at all. He, I think he was having fun playing it, so maybe I was just 
have fun having him have fun. It was nice to see him because he always plays such serious roles. So it's kind of nice to see him ham it up a little bit as a bad guy. I think he was just enjoying being a bad guy. I said before that I liked the movie. It's not a, a top performance by Sly by any stretch, in my opinion. But I think the side characters and especially Arnold really killed it in the movie. The story is interesting. I was able to overlook most of the, the goofy, far-fetched areas of it. I really enjoyed it. I liked it the first time I saw it, and I, it held up when I watched it the second time around. It does hold up. It's six years since I've seen it, and then when I was watching it, it didn't look other than some bad CGI. It actually was a nicely filmed film. It didn't look that bad. People were trying to make it a good movie. I think mm-hmm. Sly did dial it in a little bit, which is disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, like you said early in the show here, Brian, that every character in this movie is interchangeable with other actors. And, and I said, and I still stand by it, that Arnold is the key ingredient here. You could have made this movie with an entirely different cast, but you need Arnold in that Rottmeyer Mannheim role. I think Sly was channeling his Bruce. And I think that's, I could see Bruce playing that role just the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beat for beat, yeah. if Bruce had done the exact same emotions and deadpan humor and all that stuff, it just didn't seem like a Sly vehicle. No. And I think the other thing is Sly was around this time. We talked about Bullet to the Head, which I think came out right before this. And he was also at work or about to work on or had just finished The Expendables, too. So Sly was really, really busy during this period. And I I think, you know, when you're that busy, you can only do so much. Whereas I think Arnold was like, hey, I've been I've been waiting for this. Mm -hmm. Good point. Maybe it's just feeling hey, it's fun to do this again. Yeah. Well, uh, that was fun. But yeah, there wasn't a lot of one-liners in here, so it was a lot of visual, a lot of setup, so it's kind of hard just to even put in audio, because it's not any real memorable audio moments like Stop or My Mumble Shoot, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. All right, guys. Right. Yeah, enjoy your uh, the rest of your day, gentlemen. You too. All right, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, everyone, and have a good day. Thank you.